Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Happy Friday and happy July 1st. Um, I normally start the show off with scandals that I've seen in the news recently, but I am briefly just going to talk about what has been going on with the Supreme Court recently because there has been a lot. Roe versus Wade was overturned, a law making a process to get a conceal and carry permit was struck down. A, there were two cases having to do with separation of church and state, one with a educator leading prayer on a football field, and the other one having to do with funding of religious schools and the state uh, funding those. And then lastly, recording on June 30th today, the Environmental Protection Agency's power was heavily restricted in their ability to regulate emissions from power plants. And then another one, too, that happened is Miranda rights have to be read by officers, but now the ability to sue for violation of those rights. So essentially, you can't sue an officer if you don't get your Miranda rights read to you. So it's a scary time for a lot of people for people who hope to seek an abortion, or it's just a huge step backwards for women's health. And I am nervous for a lot of people, but my heart goes out to women all over the United States. It's a scary time, and there's a lot of support for women and women's health care, and I'm a huge supporter of that in you. So hopefully if you are nervous during this time, this podcast, even though it's depressing a lot of the time, it provides a little bit of escapism so you can focus on this story instead of what's happening in the world just for a little bit. So I'm going to end my discussion there. The sources I used for this episode, I used quite a lot. An episode from AP News by Kurt Anderson, a BBC News article titled Who Was Jeffrey Epstein, an article by Jane Coaston, Anna North, and Andrew Prokop, an article in The Insider by Ashley Coleman, Jacob Shamsian, Michelle Mark, and Amzi Harun, an article for Business Insider by Ellen Cranley and Benjamin Goggin, an article by Jay Epstein, A. Coleman, Jay Shamsian for The Insider, again, an article in the New York Times by James C. McKinley, an article by H. Horatio Agretzitz in The Insider, lots of Insider articles this time, another article by AP News titled A Timeline of the Jeffrey Epstein Maxwell Scandal, and then an article by Kat Schunecht in NPR. 
those are the sources I used. So this episode, I was just looking at the news in the past week, and I was going to talk about it when I saw this article, but I just wanted to save it because I decided to do a whole episode on it. You have probably heard of Glaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein, and you've probably heard the phrase, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. And I'd heard all of those things and those names, but I didn't know who these people were, or I didn't really know the details of what had happened other than headline news. So this episode is about Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. Some background on these two people. Jeffrey Epstein was born on January 20th, 1953, and he was raised in Brooklyn, New York. He grew up having a seemingly normal childhood. His mom was a homemaker, and his dad worked as a groundskeeper for the New York City Parks and Recreation Department. Shout out Parks and Rec, what a great show. Um, He went through the public school system. He seemed to be pretty smart. He started playing the piano when he was five years old and graduated high school at the age of 16. He attended the Courant Institute of Mathematical Science at New York University from September of 1971 through June of 1974, but he left without getting his degree. And even though he left without getting his degree, his first career was was as a math teacher at a school for teens, even though he didn't have the proper credentials which it was kind of frowned upon that the headmaster of that school hired him, but he did anyway. As a teacher, there were some allegations that there was some weird behavior going on with him and girls at the school. One former student of the school said, quote, It was just kind of a general circle of girls. He was much more present amongst the students, specifically the girl students, during non-teaching hours. It just seemed... It was just kind of inappropriate, end quote. So there's that account, but then there's another account from a student who had Epstein for three years, and this student said, quote, he didn't touch girls or anything. They all hung around him because he was handsome in his sleazy polyester pants, end quote. So in this teaching time, there are some mixed allegations and statements and recollections of what happened, but from what I could find, there was no accusations of sexual assault or abuse during his time as a teacher, maybe some weird behavior, but nothing physical or super disturbing that was confirmed or looked into. While he was a teacher, obviously teachers have parent-teacher conferences, and during one of these parent-teacher conferences, he became acquainted with Alan Greenberg, who was the CEO of Bear Stearns, which was a huge global investment bank. Eventually, Epstein was dismissed from the school due to poor performance, and he that connection with Alan Greenberg ended up paying off, and he was offered a job at Bear Stearns. He started there in 1976 as a floor trader, but quickly moved his way up to eventually advising some of the bank's wealthiest clients. In 1981, he was asked to leave for being guilty of a Reg D violation, which I looked it up, and it has to do something with registration requirements and the uh, SEC... Not super important for the story, but he was asked to leave because of Reg D violations, so he left, and after leaving, he founded his own consulting firm in August of 1981. 
His firm grew, and in 1987, he was hired as a consultant for Towers Financial Corporation, which was a huge collection agency, and he was hired for the low, low salary of $25,000 per month, which today is about $60,000 per month, so he was doing pretty well for himself. Even though he was getting paid the big bucks, the company had a deep, dark secret. It was one of the biggest Ponzi schemes in American history where it lost its investors over $450 million. Court documents claim that Epstein was heavily involved in the scheme, but Epstein was never charged and he left the company in 1989. In 1988, shortly before he left the company, he founded his own financial management firm called J. Epstein & Company. The company managed big clients, including Leslie Wexner, who was a chairman and CEO of L Brands, which owned Bath & Body Works, or owns currently, and then was also a chairman and CEO of Victoria's Secret. So he was a huge client, was a billionaire for him. Wexner, he gave Epstein power of attorney, which allowed Epstein to hire people, sign checks, buy and sell properties, and basically do anything legally binding on behalf of Wixner. Epstein was making millions in fees by managing Wexner's assets. And because Wexner owned all of these companies, Epstein would often attend Victoria's Secret fashion shows, would have models at his house, and apparently helped aspiring models get work with the company. Hmm... Okay. In 1996, he moved his firm from the U.S., in the U.S., like in the States, to the U.S. Virgin Islands, which is still technically part of the United States, but the government doesn't treat it like it because there, there are huge tax incentives for corporations to go there, so he got his federal taxes reduced by 90% by moving his firm there. And once he did that, he just continued to make money from investments, hedge funds, and all of that fun white-collar stuff. Let's talk a little bit about Ghislaine Maxwell. Maxwell was born on December 25th, 1961, in France. She grew up in a modest 53-room mansion in Oxford, so she was growing up pretty comfortably. Her father ran a publishing company, her mother was a scholar, she went to boarding schools and eventually earned a degree in modern history with languages from a college in Oxford. Maxwell, once she grew up and graduated, she was a big member in the London social scene in the 1980s. She founded a women's club and was a director of Oxford United Football Club while her father owned it. She spent a lot of time on her father's yacht, which was named after her, and her father also established a company in New York for her. So not only was her family rich, but her father was setting her up very nicely. Her father purchased the New York Daily News, which is more commonly known as the Daily News, and she acted as his emissary in that process. Later on in 1991, Maxwell's father's body was found floating near the Canary Islands near his yacht, and the official cause was accidental drowning, but Ghislaine is convinced that her father was murdered. 
After her father was murdered, and maybe this has something to do with it, it came out that he had fraudulently appropriated pensions of a company he ran, and the missing funds were in excess of $400 million, and that impacted 32,000 people. Two Maxwell brothers were arrested for this, but they were acquitted three and a half years later, and Ghislaine faced no charges or consequences for this. Not that I could necessarily find a connection to her and that, but she didn't have any legal issues with the stuff that came out about her father. Shortly after her father died, she had moved to the United States in 1991, and she had an annual income of $80,000 per year from a trust that her father had established. At the time, she also worked as a real estate agent in a real estate office and was reportedly socializing with celebrities, and she quickly rose to be a prominent figure in the New York social scene. There are varying reports as to when Epstein and Ghislaine actually met. There were some reports that they met in the late 1980s, some reports in the early 90s, but regardless of when they actually met, in the early 1990s they had a romantic relationship that lasted several years. From varying reports, Epstein apparently referred to Maxwell as his quote, main girlfriend, end quote, and she would also help fire, hire, and supervise his staff starting around the year 1992. In a 2003 Vanity Fair profile on Epstein, he apparently referred to her as his best friend, and the author said it seemed that Maxwell was very helpful in organizing Epstein's life. So at this point, Maxwell and Epstein, they're pretty well off, they're rich, they're heavily involved in the New York social scene, and with this life, comes knowing powerful people, and they had many influential friends, including Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, attorney Alan Dershowitz, and the UK's Prince Andrew. And in a 2002 profile of Epstein, Donald Trump said, quote, I've known Jeff for 15 years. Terrific guy. He's a lot of fun to be with. It is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. No doubt about it, Jeffrey enjoys his social life, end quote. Unfortunately, it seems like once people ascend to a certain amount of wealth and power, they really think that they can do anything they want, and this case is no different. Horrifying allegations started to come out against Epstein, and they go back farther than I was aware of. In March of 2005, police in Palm Beach, Florida started to investigate Epstein after the family of a 14-year-old girl reported that she was molested at Epstein's mansion. Later on, multiple underage girls would come forward and tell police that Epstein hired them to give sexual massages at the mansion. In May 2006, police signed paperwork to charge Epstein with multiple counts of unlawful sex with a minor, but instead... State attorney Barry Krischer takes an unusual step and sends the case to a grand jury. In July of 2006, Epstein is arrested after the jury indicts him on one single count of soliciting prostitution. It was such a minor charge based on the allegations, and it drew a lot of criticism, a lot of attention, including police officials and leaders in Palm Beach who were basically calling BS and who were all going after attorney Barry Krischer publicly, and they accused him of giving Epstein special treatment, which, a uh, dud, really seems like it. And after this outrage, the FBI started an investigation. 
In 2007, federal prosecutors prepared an indictment against Epstein, and at the same time, Epstein's attorneys are now talking with U.S. Attorney Alexander Acosta about a plea bargain that would allow Epstein to get out of a federal prosecution. Epstein's lawyers are claiming that the witnesses against Epstein are unreliable. In June of 2008, Epstein pleaded guilty to the following state charges. One count of soliciting prostitution and one count of soliciting prostitution from someone under the age of 18. He was sentenced to 18 months in jail. On top of only being charged and pleading guilty to these two charges, there was a secret arrangement made where the U.S. Attorney's Office agreed not to prosecute Epstein for federal crimes. This secret agreement was approved by U.S. Attorney Alexander Acosta, who would later become Trump's labor secretary, where Epstein pled guilty to the lesser state charges instead of facing harsher charges on the federal level. And the, fa- the charges he would have faced on the federal level would have included charges of sexually abusing underage girls at his homes in both Florida and New York from 2002 to 2005. And as if that wasn't enough, Epstein's sentence is mainly served in a work release program that allowed him to leave jail during the day to go to his office and then return to jail at night. If he got to go to his office, and to me, it's from what I could find, he seems like he basically got to continue to run his businesses from jail, but he got to go out to his office. And it's also unusual because in Florida, sex offenders are not allowed to participate in work release programs, but he was allowed to do it. He didn't have to register as a sex offender until after he was released from his sentence, but he had been convicted as a sex offender. Many people asked, why was he given so much freedom? Why was he basically allowed to go against the rules? Why, if he was convicted as a sex offender, was he allowed to go on this work release program when registered sex offenders aren't allowed to do it? And my answer to all those questions is rich white men. He is a rich white man. He has rich white man powers. He has rich white men privilege. That's my answer, and I'm sure many of you were thinking the same thing. Epstein was released from jail in July of 2009, and like I said, he did have to register as a sex offender. After he was released, for about the next decade, nothing major really happened. There were multiple women that came forward and claimed that they were victims of Epstein. One accuser named Virginia Jeruffi said that starting when she was 17, Epstein and Maxwell had set up sexual encounters with politicians businessmen, royalty, and other rich people, including Britain's Prince Andrew. And of course, all of these men, all of these people deny these charges from happening, deny that these ever happened, but these allegations were kind of continuously coming forward. Until November of 2018, nothing was really happening, but in November of 2018, the Miami Herald started to look back at the handling of Epstein's case in a series of articles, and they focused a lot on the role of attorney Acosta, who now at that time is serving as Trump's labor secretary. These articles started to bring up the old case and brought new attention to Epstein. In these articles, Julie Brown, the author of the articles, interviewed someone named Courtney Wilde, who said, quote, He told me he wanted them as young as I could find them. He wanted as many girls as I could get him. It was never enough. 
end quote, and she apparently recruited between 70 and 80 girls for Epstein. On July 6, 2019, Epstein was arrested on a federal sex trafficking charge after federal, federal prosecutors out of New York determined that they were not bound by that old agreement. So they were basically like, mm, screw you, Epstein, you are a terrible person, and we're not bound by this agreement, goodbye. Just a few days after his arrest took place, Acosta resigned as labor secretary as outrage of the case and his role in the case continued to get more and more attention. Federal prosecutors acknowledged that there was a failure to consult victims and that it, quote, fell short of the government's dedication to serve victims to the best of its ability and that prosecutors should have communicated with victims in a straightforward and transparent way, end quote. According to court reports from Florida, authorities reported at least 40 underage girls that were brought back to the mansion and where those visits turned into sexual encounters. And of course, when I say sexual encounters, I mean manipulation and not consensual. Some of these girls also were allegedly brought to Epstein's homes in New York City, New Mexico, and a private Caribbean island. There are a lot you can find in court documents, and a lot of it is upsetting. And so I'm going to read one passage. If you want to skip about 30, 45 seconds ahead, it has to do with kind of describing what would happen at these houses. And this comes from one of the court documents. So again, if you don't want to hear about it, skip ahead. Quote, The victims, who were as young as 14 years of age, were told by Epstein or other individuals to partially or fully undress before the beginning of the massage. During the encounter, Epstein would escalate the nature and scope of physical contact with his victims to include, among other things, sex acts such as groping and direct and indirect contact with the victim's genitals. Epstein typically would also masturbate during these sexualized encounters, ask victims to touch him while he masturbated, and touch victims' genitals with his hands or sex toys. End quote. After these allegations came out and all of these things were coming to light, of course, Epstein said that all of these counters, encounters with girls were consensual and that he thought they were 18 years old. I don't even want to get into the mindset of imagining that, but any, I think most people, if you see a 14-year-old and you see an 18-year-old, most people can tell you're not 18 years old and you're not 14 years old. So to me, that is complete and utter bullshit, but what do I know? On August 10th, 2019, a huge conspiracy and just media firestorm started when Epstein was found dead in his cell. If he had been alive to be convicted, he would have faced up to 45 years in prison. So Epstein's death, to many, it was a whole bunch of mystery, and officially the cause of his death is suicide, but let's talk about what is known about his death. He was found dead on August 10th in his cell at the Metropolitan Correction Center at 6.30 a.m. He was awaiting trial for those federal sex trafficking charges, and it was later determined that he hung himself with a bed sheet, and he was able to do so because his cellmate had been transferred and he was alone in his cell that night. Even though the official cause is determined to be a suicide, many people think otherwise. There is a lot of conspiracy that is circulated around his death, but none of those have panned out. 
It was also further reported that he tried to commit suicide about a month earlier after he was found unconscious in his cell with marks around his neck. While no conspiracy theories have ever been proven, I'll admit that there are some weird circumstances around his death. For example, he was supposed to be checked on by the two guards every 30 minutes, but that procedure was not followed that night. Further, one of the officers was not even a full-fledged correction officer, so one of these people you have on staff that's not even doing their job is not even qualified to be doing that job. How did that happen? Also, after his previous attempted suicide, he was supposed to have another inmate in his cell being on suicide watch, but as was stated earlier, he was alone in his cell. Why did that happen? After this was investigated into, there was a lot of criticism that went to the prison and the prison management. The warden of the jail was transferred after an investigation, and the two guards, Michael Thomas and Tova Noel, were charged criminally with ignoring their duties and then lying about it. They were accused of falsifying official logs and records. The two eventually reached a deal with prosecutors to only have to do community service, and by doing so, they would avoid prosecution. The last thing I'll say about his death is something that Epstein said himself. As he sat on suicide watch, he told a jailhouse psychologist, quote, I have no interest in killing myself. I would not do that to myself, end quote. He also said that he was a coward and didn't like pain, so that was part of the reason why he wouldn't do it. After Epstein's death, even more disturbing stuff came out. It was reported that Epstein ran a sex trafficking operation from his private island and would bring in girls as young as 11 years old to be abused. There was a lawsuit regarding what took place on the island, and in one, it stated that a 15-year-old girl tried to swim off the island to escape after being forced to perform sexual acts. But before she could escape, she was apparently captured and Epstein took away her passport. So now that all of this horrible stuff is coming out after Epstein's death, an important question remained. What about Maxwell? She was arrested on July 2nd, 2020, and federal prosecutors charged her with sex crimes, saying that she helped recruit the underage girls that Epstein abused, and she also apparently, and sometimes, participated in the abuse. Prosecutors say that as early as 1994, she would befriend young victims and groom them. After she built a report with them, talking about school and just normal stuff you talk about, like to teenagers or young children, she'd allegedly normalize sexual abuse by discussing sexual topics, undress in front of them, and then be present while Epstein abused them. During the trial, Maxwell's lawyers made the argument that Maxwell was being made the scapegoat now that Epstein was dead. Prosecutors in the case described Maxwell as an integral part of Epstein's operations and that she even took part in various instances of abuse. There were four women that testified that they were victims of either Epstein, Maxwell, or both. And a lot of the testimony from victims had to do with the apparent massages that took place, which relates to the passage I read earlier. There was one accuser who used the pseudonym Kate, said that Maxwell told her she couldn't keep up with Epstein as he needed sex three times per day. So essentially this girl is like, even Maxwell was like, yeah, he needs sex a lot. I can't keep up with that. So that's why you girls are here. There was another victim that testified that the abuse started when they were as young as 14 years old. 
One victim, Annie Farmer, who used her full name in court, said that Maxwell fondled her breast during a visit to the New Mexico home when she was 16 years old. More and more horrible stuff continued to come out, and luckily, on December 30th, 2021, a jury convicted Maxwell on multiple charges, including sex trafficking, conspiracy, and transportation of a minor for illegal sexual activity. And then on June 28th, 2022, just a couple of days ago, Maxwell was sentenced to 20 years in prison and required to pay a $750,000 fine. She read a statement to the court, and this is part of that statement. Quote, It is hard for me to address the court after listening to the pain and anguish expressed in the statements made here today. The terrible impact on the lives of so many women is difficult to hear and even more difficult to absorb, both in its scale and its extent. I want to acknowledge their suffering and empathize. I empathize deeply with all of the victims in this case. I am sorry for the pain that you experienced. I hope that my conviction, along with my harsh and unusual incarceration, brings you closure. I hope that this brings the women who have suffered some measure of peace and finality to help you put these experiences of those many years ago in a place that allows you to look forward and not back. End quote. First of all, unusual and harsh incarceration, you were participating in the sexual abuse and trafficking of human children. Um, sorry ma'am, but fuck you and your little bullshit apology. And second of all, as you probably noticed, her apology had no mention of remorse, no mention of sorry, just that I'm sorry you're feeling this way and I empathize with you. Not taking responsibility and ugh. Just the bullshit deflective apology that you hear from rich people, that you hear from politicians, that you hear from business leaders, the apology that means absolutely nothing, but they can check it off and say, yep, I did an apology. And then finally, to wrap it up, of course, as these always go, Maxwell's family members and attorneys say that they plan to appeal the case, and even after the sentencing, they were still trying to put all of the blame on Epstein. And on that happy note, that concludes Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. This case is so frustrating for so many reasons, and part of it is that no other people that may or may not have been involved have been punished. One thing that's commonly talked about with Jeffrey Epstein is his address book and his flight logs. And I was debating whether or not to talk about that because there are a lot of prominent celebrities' names in there and politicians, but it's it's really, at the end of the day, it's not important because no one, there's been no accountability. One thing I saw somewhere, I don't remember, either on Twitter or Facebook or something, is like, it's good that Ghislaine is in prison, but... No one has been asking the question, who were these children being trafficked to? Who were these children being sold out or being sent to to be abused? Like, I think that's a huge part of this that people seem to overlook is that, yeah, we have these flight logs. Yeah, we have these address books, but there's at least publicly from what I could find, there's been no investigation into who was actually at these islands doing these horrible things to these children. And 
it's unfortunate because there's probably no existing proof of it or any existing proof of it was destroyed or people have been paid to shut up or potentially killed. But it's just so frustrating that, yes, it's nice that Ghislaine is in prison, but there were very clearly more people involved than just Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. But yet, that's that's it. It's just those two people that we really focus on. And you can hypothesize and you can theorize about, oh, this person's name was in the flight logs. This person's name was in the address book. But until you can hold those people accountable if they took place in that abuse or if they were complicit in the abuse, at the end of the day, it's just speculation that is not being looked into. So I guess my way to close this out is if you're talking about the Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell case and you want to talk about the flight logs and you want to talk about the address books, talk about how they are not being looked into in terms of how are we going to find the people who potentially abuse these children? Okay, on that note, since this is a really heavy episode, I am going to read a personal scandal that someone sent in and they don't want me to use their name, which is totally fine. So here is the email. My husband has a son who just started donating blood. Good for him, right? It's great to help the community and stuff. Um, we just found out that my husband's son can't be his biologically because of his blood type. Obviously, the kid is his because that's who has raised him. He's on the birth certificate. He has primary legal custody. Socially and emotionally, we are a family. We just found that there's no biology there. Woof. First of all, thank you for sending that in. Love a good personal scandal. It's in- it's- family is not- all biology. And a lot of times family is not biology at all. You have the people who are your biological parents, but family is made up of support. It's made up of love. It's made up of a lot of much more important things than biology. So I like how you said that even though we just found out he's biologically not his, he's still your guys's child maybe not biologically, but at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. As long as the child is provided with love, support, a caring home, then that's all the family he needs. Alrighty, that concludes this episode. Thank you so much for listening. This episode is really heavy, but it's important to talk about, and I hope you learned something, even though it was horrible. If I'm going to post pictures on social media related to this case on Instagram at Scandal101Podcast, on Twitter at Scandal101Pod, on Facebook, search Scandal101Podcast, you'll find the page there. The website is Scandal101Podcast.podbean.com. You can find the show notes there. You can also find the show notes linked in the episode description. And then the email, if you want your personal scandal read on the podcast, is scandal101podcast at gmail.com. That, again, happy July. I hope that you enjoy the holiday weekend if you celebrate the 4th of July. If you're an international listener, I hope you just enjoy your weekend or whenever you're listening. And it's a crazy time in the world, in the United States, but... At the end of the day, there just needs to be more care. There needs to be more humility. So as you go forth, please act with care and humility because it will make the world a better place. And with that, this has been episode 58 of Scandal 101.